1: where I would be laying down, looking up at the sip, and these lights would be going by, and people were looking down at me. As I became to understand what it meant to be in a hospital, what it meant to be on a stretcher, what it meant to be in an emergency situation, I was like, oh my God, in this moment, I am someone who is in dire straits, maybe about to die. Out. Like, I would have this dream often, that's why I remember it. I used to make all my decisions, how I dressed, how I presented myself, to be opposite of that, because I didn't want that to happen for me. That's when I started try to ebbling those things. Like, I don't have no tattoos or nothing or no piercings, but I did get the curly mohawk, I did get the long jacket, I did get the black shirt. And I put it on and nothing happened. So I was like, well, maybe it was just a dream. Maybe I can begin to be a bit more forward and more uh, intentional with the way I try to do things and be a little bit more of a risk taker. My name is Chris Stiff
2: and I'm a modern minority. <laughs> we're no one's model minority.
0: This is a show about all of you for all of us. Today, I'm talking to a good friend and colleague of mine, Christopher Stith. Chris is the founder of Chris Stith Works Creative. He is a DC native who has won multiple awards in photography in painting, and in podcasting. He's also a podcast co-host of Beyond Hood and Evil, which is a great, great show. Um, and we will definitely link you guys to that in the show notes. He and his co-host are hilarious and they talk all about the Black experience today and really just go into everything from their own lives and their own perspectives and what's going on in the news. What I really love about Chris is when I met him, he was actually a student in one of my classes, and he always asked such insightful questions, but he was also kind of the class clown. So he kind of came across as being super funny, but then really thoughtful at the same time. And he had that combination of things where I was like, where, like, what is this guy's story? You know, where did he come from? What makes him think this way? How does he approach things? And now I have the pleasure of actually working with him. Chris does some work for us at my agency SLTC. Um, He's a a fantastic designer and a great video video editor. And so knowing that he had a podcast too, I was like, hey, do you want to just come on and let's just turn on the mic and chat a little bit? And I'm so glad that I did because just from sitting with him for about an hour today, I learned so much about Chris's upbringing. I learned that he had a twin brother, which I didn't know. But I also heard a lot about the community and the neighborhood that he grew up in, in DC. And he shared a lot about some pretty traumatic experiences that he had seen as a young child, which I think really helped to form the other decisions that he made to focus on art and focus on creation and in many ways to take that forward and to establish a legacy. So I think you're going to love Chris. I think you're going to think he's really funny as well. But I think you're also going to find that he's got some really great insights about art and about life and about humanity in general. So with that, I hope you enjoy my chat with my new friend. I guess my old friend, but now my newer, a better friend, Chris Stith. Hi, Chris. Thanks so much for joining me today.
1: I'm happy to be here.
0: Yay. It's been a long time in the making too. Like I feel like I've I've heard about Beyond Hood and Evil for months now. Yes. And the minute that you had mentioned it, I was like, I gotta get Chris on <laughs> onto modern minorities just because, you know, our paths have crossed in different ways. And and here you are sitting with me. So without further ado, I have a quick question for you. It's the same question we ask everybody.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Chris, where are you from?
1: Oh <laughs> uh, well. <laughs> That's such an epic question, you know, haven't heard that yeah. one before. Uh, right. <laughs> so it began with, when a man loves a woman, they um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, No. I uh, know. <laughs> so I'm from Washington, D.C., born and raised. I'm not somebody that says they're from D.C. And they're actually from Virginia or Pennsylvania or right. Silver Spring. I'm, I'm literally from Washington, D.C. Grew up in Anacostia, Southeast, in the Berry Farm, Parkchester area. Went to D.C. public schools, went to Duke Ellington School of the Arts. And went to American University. Like, I I spent my whole educational career yeah. in D.C. So, yeah. you know. Well,
0: your whole life, basically, right? M-
1: more or less, yes. And and yeah. it was, it's been an adventure. You know, I've seen D.C. transform from what it was to what it is. It used to be Chocolate City. Now it's like Mocha Latte City turning into Pumpkin Spice City. <laughs> so it's very interesting to see the transformation, the transmogrification of Washington, D.C., mm-hmm.
0: All the different, all the different shades and, and flavors of uh, lattes, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah, every season. So
0: when you tell people I'm from DC, do you ever get asked, "Well, where are you really from?"
1: Yeah, people used to ask me that a lot. Cause oh yeah, I'm, I'm taking, I'm trying to be very conscientious of the way and, and the rate in which I'm speaking because I have a propensity to talk super duper fast. So yeah, <laughs> the first thing people say yeah. is like, "Oh, where are you from?" I'm like, "Oh, DC." They be like, nah, but where are you really from?" Like, I ain't never met nobody that sound like you or talk like you. And it's like, yeah, well, I mean, I'm from here, man. Like, if you meet somebody that's from here, you'll hear my accent a little bit. But, you know, it, it's nothing that really bothers me because D.C. is the city of transplants, more or less, especially when you start working professionally.
0: Yeah. Like, so when you talk about the the speed of talking, is it because people within D.C. don't speak as quickly or they do speak
1: quickly? Specifically people from the south side or the southeast side of D.C. in my experience and from what I've seen, mm-hmm. they typically talk like this. You know what I'm oh, saying? Like it's like oh, a slow, a little draw. It's almost like a little like a gruffness to the voice when they talk, you know, and it's like I don't yeah. have that gruffness
0: <laughs> yeah. in yeah. my voice. Yeah.
1: So that's more what I'm referring to. But, you know, and then each part of the city kind of has its own swing in the way that they speak in terms of the rhythm yeah. and the, the cadence. So me and my brother, we didn't really have that cadence a lot growing up because my grandmother, she, we was more or less raised with my grandmother or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she's from North Carolina. So I have a, a, like a Southern drawl.
0: Got it. Yeah. (laughs) To
1: a lot of my words, like some of my words come out round. Yeah. But then some of my words come out sharp. Yeah. So.
0: I've noticed that about you. I have noticed your Southern drawl. And I didn't realize until just this moment that you're a native DC person because. Yes. I don't think I actually know any native DC people besides you. Well, I don't and know. That's a go. that's a very big comment. I'm not sure I might, but yeah, I, I kind of always assumed too, that you were from the South or definitely had Southern roots. Yes. So that that's like, I'm learning new things about you already. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you mentioned, so used to be, what did you call it? Chocolate city?
1: Yeah. Chocolate city, DC. Chocolate city. <laughs> um.
0: So when you were growing up, what was your neighborhood like? You were growing up, grandma was around. She's like, you know, really involved in your life. What's What's the neighborhood like? What is little Chris? What's a day in the life of baby Chris?
1: <laughs> so it's weird because I, I this going to sound strange, but I've seen DC transform from SD or analog to HD 4K. So <laughs> when I was growing up, DC was not as developed as it is, as you would imagine it to be, you know, even though it's the right. nation's capital. It didn't have all the accoutrements of a major city. Yeah, you know, it, 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 the, the buses were made of steel. They had these hot uh-huh. metal seats. Uh, the the uh-huh. the the squad cars that the police drove around were steel metal with the sirens with the little lights on top. It, it was like a. I always remember, like my memory is very, <laughs> funny because it's like I remember growing up as, like sepia tone. Like everything was very very saturated when I was growing up, right. and now things right. are very like clear. Yeah. It was just a different city. You didn't see that many non black people growing up. Like you had Columbia Heights, which had a mm-hmm. lot of the Latin people and a lot of like African people lived on Georgia Ave and Jamaican people lived on Georgia Ave. You had the Ethiopians, mm-hmm. they lived in more or less uh, Silver Spring. But that was kind of it. it was, and you know, and then you had the, the refuge, the last vestige of whiteness, which was Tinley Town, Northwest Georgetown area. Yeah. But all that would just be college students. Right. And they would typically commute to the city, and that's what it was. So growing up, it was it was a very different place than it is today. Right. So
0: that's interesting. So you grew up in a place where it was really homogenous. Everybody looked like you, everybody was kind of from similar cultural backgrounds. Yes. As you. Yes. Was your school that way too? Or was it was it zoned so that there were people coming in from other areas?
1: Not my school. My school was an area people was trying to get out of, not into. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So my school, I grew up, I went to for elementary. I went to Bernie Elementary School, James G. Bernie Elementary School. Shout out to all the Bernie Beavers, if you're listening.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) It was a very homogenous school. It was a lot of black people. I remember the first time we had two uh, Latino people.
0: Were you next to them?
1: No, I'm not friends with these individuals.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> you just, but them. you knew but you knew who they were because they were the only two different kids in yes. the school. That's what you're saying, yes. right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. Everyone okay. knew them
1: because they didn't look like us. Like they looked like they were right. culturally white. So, you yeah. know, as these things happened, I have a story about them. Uh they they became a bit too comfortable with the community they were living in and started using choice words and that quickly led to them being uh, physical reprimanding. For using the wrong words in a very familiar way, and everyone, and now as you get older, it's like, but they weren't even white; like they were Latino. It's like, yeah, but they didn't look it, and we didn't know. So, like, you didn't know what a Latino person was, you didn't know what a Hispanic person was, you know, because it wasn't common in our area. You know, I still remember, yeah, the first time I met a, a white guy was when I was um, in five um, facilitating leadership in youth. It was like a youth advocacy and mentoring program I was a part of for most of my life until I got to college.
0: How old were you?
1: I was in a program from when I was eight years old until I was about okay twenty-one. <laughs> so a long term.
0: Do you remember? Do you remember that experience of of meeting someone that looked different from you?
1: Yes, his name was Greg. He was very tall. Um, he maybe <laughs> I had to be maybe like I was a little <laughs> kid, so I I remember everything. I have a really good memory. So his name was Greg. He was very tall. He studied political science at American University. He rode a bike every day to tutor me and Anacostia from Town all the way to Southeast. I can't describe wow. what that is like, but it had to be at least a solid hour and a half bike. And then he would sit down, help me with my homework, with reading. Yeah, yeah. And then he, I would walk him down to the station and he would ride his bike again <laughs> from Town back. I mean, from Anacostia back to Town. It was crazy. Oh, and I remember he had these ice blue eyes, like a dog. Like, yeah, ice blue eyes. Eyes was blue. And I remember it was uncomfortable for me because I had never met anyone with blue eyes in my life. So yeah. it was like looking at a White Walker from Game of Thrones. Like, that's what it was like. It was like, yo, what the f-? And I remember I had a hard time looking at him. And one day he was just like, man, you never look at me, man. What's wrong? And, you know, back in the you now, nowadays they'd be like, oh, he must be autistic. But it was like, nah, I just told him. I was like, Slum, your eyes are super blue and it make me uncomfortable Looking at your eyes, like, I never met anybody with blue eyes. He's like, oh, I didn't even think about that. I was like, yeah, it's not a problem. It's just letting you know, like, your eyes were super blue, like ice blue. So, yeah, man, it was crazy.
0: That is fascinating. So, after, after you reveal that to, to Greg, like, I feel like I know Greg now, too. <laughs> just <laughs> what you said about him. Yeah. But after, after you tell all this to Greg, does your relationship change at all?
1: Not really, if anything okay. it was like we became closer because he was my mentor for about i want to say two, three years, which is a well tutor mentor for like two, three years before he yeah. transitioned to do something else, so he just became more candid with me and telling me about stuff, trying to teach me things, mm-hmm. giving me more life lessons as opposed to educational lessons, so yeah. that was the cool thing
0: that's amazing, and then going back to the two the two kids um from El Salvador from your school, uh uh-huh. did you ever hang out with them?
1: nah. Nah, no. it wasn't my speed. Okay. Not not at that time. Not it wasn't my speed. Like they were they were different than me and my brother. Like I had this thing I used to always say, "Man, I'm going to college. Like I'm not trying to get caught up with y'all, man."
0: Wait, what? I don't <laughs> understand. i still not. I feel like maybe I'm just not grasping. Why were they just? Were they like rebels or something? They were like.
1: <laughs> so I'm trying to say what no I'm saying. It. I'm trying to say what I'm saying. It. Yeah. So yeah. I grew up in a very a rough area around a lot of people that had to make choice decisions Mm -hmm. to do what they had to do to make a way out of no way. And the way I chose was education. Yeah, A lot of my peers did not choose that. So I had to be very careful with who I spent my time with outside of school. That's the best way I could (laughs) it. People people were tough.
0: Well, I want to hang on that for a second. That's actually Mm. a credible point. So I kind of like you, I didn't grow up in DC. I grew up in New York City. Mm-hmm. But I grew up around Chinatown, so growing up to everybody around me looked like me like i didn 't mm-hmm. think of myself as a minority i had i didn 't really have a concept of that i didn 't really even understand what that meant until junior high or high school so like my but my earlier years, like everyone was chinese, everybody you know basically was from a similar village as my grandparents everybody kind of knew each other in one way or another, and like you, it was you know some parts were pretty rough in terms of like lifestyle and choices and, and other things. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: education was always really key for my family as well. Like that was, I, I think most immigrant families or most, you know, minority families, that's how you can get a leg up. That's how you can succeed. That's how you get yourself out of the hood. Right. Basically that's, that's how you get yourself out of Chinatown. Like you got to earn your way out. You got to get a college degree. You got to, you got to get a great job after that. And I too, not till I was probably in junior high school, saw things around me that people were doing at a very young age that I knew was wrong or, or that just, it was kind of beyond my ability to even think about getting involved with, like everything from violence to even, you know, drugs at a really young age, like just things that were so counter, I think, to what I was learning from my own family and at home because I did have, thankfully, I had a great structure around me. Mm. And so talk more about that because I think that it's those critical moments, right? Like there's Chris, Stith, who you are today, and we'll get more into that in a couple minutes, Mm. but there's a different, like, if you had like a parallel universe, kind of like a Loki kind of lifestyle or whatever, you know, the Avengers, like you could do like different time warps, there'd be some different version of you that maybe made two different decisions. Yes. And you could have been on a very different path.
1: A thousand percent.
0: So what was that like? Like, what does that take when you're eight, nine, ten years old? You know what? What are some of those stories from that from that time?
1: Man, <laughs> so it's funny you said eight, nine, ten. Like I remember in kindergarten.
0: Oh, okay, even before <laughs> that, yes, yes,
1: yes. So it's like in my <laughs> my school or my where I grew up was different. So yeah, let's let's break it down grade level by grade level. It's like a little marquee that lets me like I had to make a decision. Because I remember when I was growing up, mm-hmm. I used to always think about, this is going to sound like a lie, but it is not. <laughs> like, let me take it back. Let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. So in kindergarten, I remember I worked, walked in first day of school. I didn't go to preschool in my community. I went to preschool in another area in Fort Washington. Yep. So that's a, like a little bit of ways from where I grew up. So I was around a lot of mid, middle, up, like middle class kids. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So then for elementary school, we ended up going to school in our community. So everybody already knew each other from pre-K. And they also knew each other from playing in the neighborhood. Yeah. Me and my brother did not play in the neighborhood until we got to kindergarten because we always were at daycare. So right. we were literally the new kids. And not only were we the new kids, me and my brother looked markedly different than everyone around us because we were tall, very chocolate skin, clear face, big old eyes, round heads, and this big curly, <laughs> bushy head. Everybody yeah. else, no one looked like me and my brother. So we immediately, everybody's like, who are these two? Da, da, da. And then we come, hey, what's going on? You know, you got these sweet voices. Hi, my name's Chris. Yeah, it's nice to meet you. Blah, blah, blah. Like I speak <laughs> like a storybook person because all I did growing up was read books. So I spoke yeah. the, the Queen's English. I didn't speak English. So I didn't speak right. AAV. I spoke the Queen's English. How are you? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Right. Da, 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 da. Spoke like that. So the kids yeah. immediately was just like, oh, these two, mugs, these two mugs, soft, dog. They soft. We about to eat them. Like, we about to beat them up. So, you know, me and my brother had to quickly learn a uh, the fusionary tactic <laughs> to get out of the, the rapid violence that was escalating. And my first day of elementary school, I remember I was walking around, had on my uniform. No one had on uniforms. <laughs> Even though it was a rule to have on uniforms in the school. So that already put my, my brother in this category. It's like, oh, these dudes are weird, man. <laughs> so I made my cardigan, my button-up, my slacks, my little penny shoes. They like, yo, what is that? And everybody else in Jordan's it Nike's jerseys, T-shirts, stuff like that. And I remember um, I was walking around and my little tie came loose from my shirt. And I remember this girl walked up to me and she took her finger and she no, she licked my chest. And I was just like, what? yeah, I was in kindergarten and I was like, whoa. And I, you know, sensory overload, like, what's happening? <laughs> what's happening? Oh and God. I was just taking it back. I was so taken it back. I was like, whoa. So I had to make a decision like, what am I doing in this situation? And I was just like, Run away. So I remember I just stayed away from her for like three years. Like every time I see her, I would turn the opposite way. I was like, man, I don't know what's going on with her, man. She's different. I don't know what she wants with me. I mean, that's kindergarten. First grade, I had the the privilege of learning what it means to get beat in public. So... (laughs) The kids oh were, were acting so... One of the kids was <laughs> acting so bad, somebody's mother came up to the school and literally beat him in front of the class. He got a whooping in front of everybody. And I was like, and you know, again, sensory overload. whoa, I didn't even know that could happen. So I'm on my P's and Q's always. I'm like, I don't want to get beat in school. You know what I'm saying? My mother live up the street. She'd come down here if I was acting crazy or something. But me and my brother also had a very good temperament to us. Like We weren't wild kids. Second grade, I remember everybody started talking about sex. Literally, second grade, talking about they doing this, they doing that, they doing this, they doing that. And I'm just like, huh, L- like me being a learned individual, I'm like, that sounds like impossible. Like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. what are you talking about? And about? And I'm talking about like graphic, graphic, graphic right. things, like graphic. And it's right. like, we in second grade. Yeah. And I had to make You're the decision. Seven. Like,
0: I mean, he's seven years yes,
1: old. Yes, yes. But it's like, everyone's in on it. Holy All
0: moly. All the students
1: are in on it. It's a common thing in third grade. I had my first experience with someone that I knew committing suicide. So I learned that death what? is finite. Soon I, it was suicide or murder. I, you know, we never, I ain't never really learned the details, but I'm just going to say, if somebody died in my class and I was in third grade and that's when I realized life is final. Like, it's not like a video game. When you die, you die. You dead, you gone. There's no coming back. So fast forward, fourth grade, I learned about the difference of social hierarchies because I was a third grader in the sixth grade reading class. So that means I was around a bunch of older kids and they saw me mm-hmm. as someone weird because it's like, man, you a nerd. Like you, you read up here with us <laughs> talking about this and that and breaking down this information. And we in here, we don't understand. And it's like, well, I mean, I don't know. It's not my fault. And then next thing you know, it's like, no, nah, it is your fault. So you had to learn. Sometimes you got to learn to dim your light to let others feel comfortable. And that's what I learned in four, fourth grade. <laughs> and then in fifth grade, I learned about when, you, when your body changes and you become, you start and big. Because by the time I was in fourth grade, I was already like five feet tall. So I'm as tall as my teachers. So like yeah. I had a different experience than everybody else in the class because I, my body was changing before everyone else's. So I was much bigger mm-hmm. than everyone. And in sixth grade, that happened again. And then I learned about Again, about like I I learned stories of how certain girls are different than other girls because uh, some of the girls in the class began to proposition teachers about entering into relationships with them. And we're in sixth grade. So it's just like that was my elementary school experience. Like I could say it's like it was like a crash course in real life, social, interpersonal relationships, (laughs) choices. And what you do dictates your outcome. In third grade, people were stealing cars running from the police. Stealing cars. Stealing cars, driving cars. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, stealing cars, driving around the neighborhood, selling drugs, getting into real fist fights, like real violence, not like kid violence, like real violence. Uh shooting people, killing people, stuff like that. Like it's different. So Oh my goodness. It was a different time. You're
0: blowing you are blowing my mind. Yeah. Like this is <laughs> so, beyond. It is beyond hood and evil. Exactly. It's beyond.
1: <laughs> so that's why Wow. I, so when people generally meet me, you wouldn't get that from me. <laughs> no. But I but I always all. say but I always say it's because of the choices i made to be the person that I am.
0: So what did you what did you have in your life to keep you on the straight and narrow then? Because I think first of all everything that you said is like kind of traumatic. It's almost like I'm <laughs> I'm listening but I can't even allow myself to process because I can't. Yeah. It's just like those ages are so young. You know the stuff you're talking about? Yes. Totally feasible, but not at like six, seven, eight, nine years old. Like I, I can't. Yes, I, I have almost had to take a deep breath and like, <laughs> like you know, like whoa. But what what in your life prevented you from from doing those things, or, or or did you? I guess another question is also, did you have a place to go where you could kind of talk about this and decompress and have someone else that you could just even reflect with you know, reflect these things uh, onto so that you could better understand your place in all of this?
1: So I guess, you know how when people always say they had that moment when they're growing up when they became Mm self-aware? So that's when I became aware of the finale of life was in third grade. So from that moment on, I kind of had this vision, like, I don't want (laughs) to, I don't want to die. Like, yeah, because it ain't like, you can't come back. So to answer your question though, me and my brother, I, like I keep mentioning my brother, Kiego, I have a twin brother. He's awesome. He teaches in New York.
0: Oh, he's a twin.
1: Yes, I have a twin. Oh. Yes, I have a twin. Is, are you fr- guys identical? We're fraternal. fraternal. Yeah. When okay. we were little though, we looked very much alike. Yeah. But yeah, shout out to him. But we we used to have conversations. <laughs> so it's, yeah. I can't stress enough the the benefit of having someone that you know is always going to be able to understand your perspective. Right. And understand what you're going through because we would basically come home and just talk to each other about the date. Mm-hmm. And that that kind of helped us because I always equate me and my brother to like the Ninja Turtles. So I don't know if you ever watched or played yeah. the Ninja Turtles.
0: Of course.
1: So, you know, there's the light Ninja Turtles and the dark Ninja Turtles. Did you ever notice that?
0: In terms of when they, like the like like even within the brotherhood? Yes. Like at any given, okay. Yes. So, no, I never noticed that. So who's, well, Leonardo, actually, wait, Leonardo's a lighter Ninja Turtle. Yes,
1: yes. Yes.
0: And Donatello's a darker one. Yes. Right? Yes, yes. And Michelangelo, what, what's he, light or dark?
1: I think he was, I think, so I, I just remember the weapons, though. The, the weapons of the dark ones was the um, nunchucks. No, not the nunchucks, the This the, the Tridance. Okay. And then the, yeah. the, the, the stick. They were the darker ones. Okay. And then the light ones were were the ones with the sword. I guess that's Leonardo. And then yep. the nunchucks, which was Mikey or Ruffy. Mikey, right?
0: Mikey, I only know them by the banana color, so Mikey had orange, yes, and Raffaello yes, had yes, red,
1: yes, yes, so
0: so Raffaello was darker,
1: yes, I believe so Raphael, yeah, yeah, so the, back to the the metaphor, me and my brother had a ninja turtle experience, so the the hard I always ended up in this classrooms with the the harder people they were they were harder
2: like
1: hmm. that's the that's the the way I could put it
2: <laughs> that's to the make word. it make yeah, sense yes yeah, they, the they were they right. were
1: harder people. So my experience yeah. was dark and my brother was always in the class with the, he was up, he had a lighter experience. So he was always lighter. So my brother was very much like Mikey and I was very much Raphael. Huh. A di- had, we had different experiences in school and we would bounce them back and forth. And we, me and my brother, were talking about this yesterday. We have an excellent ability to identify patterns and compartmentalize information and sit on it until we need it. So His experience, I would absorb it. And then when I needed to use something from his experience, experience, Mm -hmm. I would be able to draw upon that or call upon that and vice versa. So that coupled with FLY, facilitating leadership with youth, as a refuge from the things that was going on in the community, because I knew I could always count on them to be there and be consistent, positive role models, male, female, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, whatever. You know, they would come and we could experience different cultures and kind of that would act as a escapism in a way. And then there was always art and it was always my family, like my grandmother and my mom. Like my mom was very, (coughs) she was, she's a walking lesson in life. (laughs) That's the best way to put that. And my grandmother (laughs) is a, is a very strong, strong maternal um, figure. So I had those two like as cornerstones in my personality. That's what I have. Like I got this strong moral backbone mixed with this this testament of life's lessons. Yeah. Mix that together, mix with my own personal experience and choices. And then my hero fantasy of myself. That's what made me the person I have today. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's
0: incredible. So you kind of started talking about this, but when you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: I want to be a lot of things growing up. I was a, I was a pretty smart kid. So first I wanted to be an archaeologist because I like planting the dirt. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's a, it's very rudimentary. The fun job. Yes. Pick, planting the dirt all day, picking up rocks and stones. I was like, that sounds cool. Yeah. But then as I began to learn more, I I remember in first grade, that's transition. In kindergarten, that was that. In first grade, I wanted to be a lawyer and I I was stuck to being a lawyer for a long time. I was like, I should be a lawyer. I should be a lawyer. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a lawyer. I should be a lawyer. But then in third grade, I went to a talent show we had in class and I love watching 1980s movies. So I was watching the Police Academy movie a lot. And I like the guy that made noises with his mouth. <laughs> I, so I went up to the talent show and started making noises with my mouth. And my teacher immediately said, that is not a talent. Sit down. And I was like, but in, the dude in the Police Academy movie, he does it all the time. And she was just like, that's Chris. That's Mr. Stiff. That is not. That is, sit down. Just sit down. I'm, right, sit down. Right. Um, and right. I went to sit down with the rest of the kids in the class that did not have any talent. And they were back in the back of the room drawing yeah. Pokemon cards. Yeah. And I remember yeah. me being myself, I'm competitive. So I was like, man, I could draw that. They was like, you can't draw? I was like, yes, I can. I can draw. I could draw. I can do anything. They was like, okay, no, yeah. you can't. You, can, you just went up there and thought making noises with your mouth. You don't even know what a talent is. Like, we got people here dancing, singing, writing poems, mm-hmm. and you making noises. I was like, I can draw. They was like, no, you can't. So I sat down. It was a psychic gym member. I mean, psychic gym leader. And I sat down. And I copied it perfect, like like a scan of it using Crayola crayons. And everyone around the room was like, Wow. Why do you get up and draw? Like, we didn't even know you could do that. And I was just like, this is, this is, I thought everybody could do this. And he's like, no, right. no, no, everyone can't do this. This is a talent. Was, and then my teacher was very upset. She's like, yeah, Chris, you should have drew. So from that moment, I was like, oh, I guess I should draw. So I just started drawing, 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 drawing. And I was going to be, I wanted to become an artist. Then I wanted to learn how to play video games. And then I just wanted to play, be a video game developer. And I was like, I don't want to do that no more. I just want to do art. Um, fast forward, high school, had the choice in D.C. in my time when I was growing up. There were only two schools you can go to. Um, there was School Without Walls or Duke Ellington School of the Arts. School Without Walls is like a college accelerator program. Uh-huh. And it's on the campus of George Washington University or cl- affiliated with them in some capacity. So if you go there, you get a, a super duper rigorous academic educational program. And then you had Duke Ellington School of the Arts, which is the art school for all the arts you kids. Yeah. Me and my brother decided to go to the Artsy Fartsy Kids School, and that's that just kind of set me on the path to where I am today.
0: Oh, so your brother went too. So you both you both studied art.
1: Yes, yes. So and that's how I became Interesting. the person I am today. And I ended up doing graphic design. All
0: right, all right. Hold on. Pa- pause. 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 We're we're, we're you know we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. So <laughs> when when the two of you guys decided you wanted to be artists, did Grandma have anything to say about it? Did Mom have anything to say about it? Like what was their response to that?
1: My grandmother was a, a, a infinite, a limitless bounty of support in all endeavors. Whatever me and my brother wanted mm. to do, she always supported us. So, grandma, she saw, yeah, she saw that we had a like a predilection for art, mm-hmm. and she she used to buy drawing books all the time, art supplies, drawing books, art supplies. Yeah. So she just supported because she was just happy we was in the house and we wasn't out there, right? Yeah. Doing the things I described to you earlier, <laughs> of course,
0: yeah, yeah, because yeah. you
1: know, for yeah. intents purposes, like me and my brother could have been crazy people, like we could have been a real problem in the community (laughs) Mm -hmm. because it's Mm -hmm. not like you know we had a a lot of natural gifts
0: yeah because first of all there's two of you there's two of you and you're giants right like I met you in person like you are how tall are you I'm 6'5 yeah you (laughs) (laughs) you are a giant (laughs) yes
1: Yes. right so
0: you got like these two big kids that are like you know totally like on the same page all the time totally you could have been a menace to society for sure yes Yes.
1: So, yeah. <laughs> and more ways than one, you know, then there's right. a lot going on. There's a lot going on. So
0: There's a lot going on, for sure.
1: So we, my grandmother would always support us with that, get us all this stuff, um, drawing books, markers, pens, pencils, color pencils. And yeah. then we would go to, me and my brother would go down to the program Fly, and we would go down there and print out Dragon Ball Z pictures or whatever we wanted to copy. Oh, so we just so draw cool. those all the time. Yeah. So it just kind of worked out in this perfect little, perfect concoction of us having this resource for us to be able to facilitate us becoming better artists, you know? Right. So by the time we get to high school, mm-hmm. me and my brother have a very strong practice of concert drawing, um, rendering, and portraiture mm-hmm. just based off drawing anime pictures all the time because you got to have a very, you have to have a very steady hand and you have to have a very good good eye for spatial relations. So yeah, it just worked out in that way.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you ever have a moment where you where you thought that maybe pursuing a, a life as a creator or an artist wasn't for you? Like, did you ever doubt your ability or anything like that?
1: Uh, I mean, you've met me. I'm, I'm not someone that ever is in a lack for confidence.
0: Right. This is all six foot five <laughs> of you.
1: So I, I'm someone who has always had a great belief in who I am. The only times I've ever had a doubt in what I should be doing uh, will be more on an interpersonal relationship or who I identify as in the world because of how people see me versus their perception versus my reality, I would say. So those are the only two areas where I've ever struggled, I would say, especially coming up. Uh, But as an artist, I always thought I was the best and I always wanted to be the best. So when I saw people who were better than me, yeah. as a, somebody that's super competitive, i always want to push myself to be better right. than that person or on that level. So- yeah, like that That was something I, I learned fast when I went to Duke Ellington because I was around so many people that were better than me. Yeah. I can't describe. the When I went to school, me and my, we all, our whole class, we all described 2009. I'm dating myself. I don't care. 2009, that's the best year that Duke Ellington had in terms of artists yep. because everybody was a monster. We all had this insatiable desire to be the best one in the class. And that, that was a, a practice that we learned from the people that came before us because we were competing with them when we was in ninth grade, so we would see the upperclassmen and be like, I want to draw like this person. I want to be like Dexter. I want to be like Daniel. I want to be like Niles. I want to be like Joaquin. I want to be like, you know, you know, all, all these. I want to be like Indy. I want to be like, like, they're so good. I want to yeah. be like, well, you know, we had these people that we could look to directly that were our age and see their ability and where they were right? And how we wanted to be at, the, at or above or exceed their levels. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: That's I think that's so important. Like, I think that yes. the people that you surround yourself with at any age and, and within any, any talent, any industry, any craft, those are the people that are going to push you to be better, right? And Facts. Having, having an environment like Duke Ellington, Ellington School or anything else is a, is, is a way that you can gather all of that talent together so that you can learn from each other and grow from there. Mm-hmm. It's really a special thing. This. Did you and your brother ever compete, <laughs> like, for, to be the number one artist in school <laughs> or otherwise?
1: Yes, I mean, and yeah, me and my brother—that's my rival. You know, we always say that to each yeah, other whenever totally. we do something new or discover a new style, be it uh, music, writing, yeah, education, uh, abilities. You know, it's all, it's all immediate. Oh, you learn how to do that, huh? All right, check this out. Check this out. You see yeah. that? You see that? You check this out. So that yes, me and my brother pushed each other. But we pushed each other in different directions as well. So for me, in my artistic practice, I became someone who was very much enamored with, like, realism and painting and trying to be... So my friends my friends now, they all call me, like, the joke, jack of all trades, because it's like, it's not a, it's not many tasks that I can't complete at a high level. Mm-hmm. But my brother, he's more of a specialist. Like, he has things that he's just good at, and he's good at those things, and he doesn't have an interest in being good at things outside of that, if that makes sense. Oh, interesting. So that's one of the the, the key... Okay differences in our personalities.
0: So he stays in his lane and you yes. are, yeah. you know, you're always trying to dabble in the next thing. So yes. what are you, what are you most uh, interested in now from an artist's perspective? Like what, what types of things have you been animating or drawing or creating?
1: Well, if I'm being honest, I, I just did a painting. I'm trying to learn how to do multimedia portraiture. Uh-huh. So I put together a painting for a program called Soul it's a student athlete accelerator where they mentor student athletes in the Washington, DC, and Los and California, New York, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and Washington State. And help them to understand the pitfalls of what happens when you're a student athlete. That's what it does. Yeah. So I did help them with a fundraiser. I put together a painting, and the painting was supposed to be a representation of the journey of a student athlete. So I'm someone who loves doing portraits. So I made this big five by five foot painting of a student athlete and he was half, it was half of made of a basketball and the other half was like his regular, a regular traditional painting. And then it had a, a tassel that I had to make out of yarn and thread. And I like to incorporate it into the painting. So I'm trying to figure out how to do more, more multimedia pieces. Yeah. So that's a, that was the latest thing I was trying to dabble in.
0: When you, when you're making portraits, are you doing it for the person that is sitting for you? Or are you doing it for the world or are you doing it for yourself?
1: So I had to add that conversation to my teacher and Mr. East, Mike Easton in, at Duke Ellington School of Arts. He uh told me that art has three missions or three vehicles of uh, communication you have to commemorate, mm-hmm. to educate or to I'm forgetting the third one. And I'm sorry, but I'm forgetting the third one. It's commemorate, <laughs> educate, and it's something else. I, oh, uh, Sorry, Mr. Easton. Yeah, he will remember one day. <laughs> yeah, I will, remember, but I will remember. But it might be entertain or something like that. One of those three, right? Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So
1: of those three things, I've chosen to think that my practice is about commemorating or um, education. So those are the two lanes I always go into. So when I do a portrait or something or someone, mm-hmm. it's t- typically to commemorate them or an achievement they've done. Or to try to illustrate something that's going on in the world and be reflective.
0: Got it. Good answer. Tell me a little bit. I'm going to pivot a little because we okay. like. I think art art's a big part of what you do. Yes. But now, and so is podcasting. Yes. And you have this podcast that I mentioned earlier, Beyond Hood and Evil.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Talk to me a little bit about what what you guys talk about, how it started, and and then I also know you guys have won like awards as well. So yes. What's special about that show, and why should our listeners maybe go check you guys out?
1: <laughs> so Beyond her and evil it's a comedic podcast about the black experience. That's my elevator pitch <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a it's a it was a journey, so it started during the pandemic between me and my main man mike Mike is a friend of mine from college we met in two thousand nine the summer of two thousand and nine became fast friends and we've always stayed connected here and there you know I'm not the most I'm not the best person with the phone if I'm being completely Mm -hmm. candid, Mm -hmm. but I'm always someone that had the genuine, genuine belief. Like if, if I was your friend when we last spoke, I should be your friend when I speak to you next time. Which is not how Mm -hmm. people see the world, but Hey, you know, I'm trying to get better about it. Yeah. But so we reconnected over COVID, uh, after his wedding, he had, he he got married. I, I went to the wedding we stayed in contact and we just would keep in touch, talk, 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 chat, 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 chat. And mm-hmm. we decided that our con- our conversations were pretty good because at the time he said that his partner was saying was, he would find them laugh, like her laughing and giggling and stuff at the conversations we were having. And it's also at the same time, my twin brother, Kiego, he had a podcast, too, called Verified Podcast. And I had all these ideas about ways that, that he could market and grow his podcast to make it better. And he was just like, I'm not going to do that once you get a podcast and then you're doing a your podcast. and." Again, me and my brother being competitive. I was like, word? You're just going to disrespect me. All right, check this out. I'm about to make my own podcast. <laughs> <It's> so, <cool. laughs> so I was very, but when I was presented with the opportunity to do Beyond Her and Evil with Mike and our buddy uh, on his name Jay. He's a very talented videographer, photographer that serves the whole country and Africa. He's he's really good. He used to work with Tobu, Toby Noegwe and all this other stuff. Like, he's fire. Mm-hmm. We were supposed to do podcast together. We were trying to come up with a name and me being... The wordsmith that I am. I was like, maybe we should call it Beyond Hood and Evil, like the Nietzsche book, you know, because it's a philosophical podcast and the original <laughs> idea was supposed to be like Beyond was gonna be Mike and he was gonna talk about wellness. Uh, Hood was gonna be J Beyond and he was gonna talk about, no, Beyond was gonna be Mike and Jay, because Jay was very religious and <laughs> We wanted to incorporate that into the podcast. And then we mm-hmm. had Mike, who was going to do more esoteric and wellness topics. And then I was going to do Hood and Evil because I'm somebody who's able to talk about a lot of things and can relate it to her interpersonal stories and help it be a, reach a broader audience. So that was the original idea. JVON couldn't do it. Fast forward, me and Mike end up doing it. I just end up doing the whole thing, lion's share of all the work, like editing, mixing, recording producing, branding, marketing, doing everything for the podcast, built the website, all the whole nine. Yeah. And then people just start listening. And it just, they was like, man, your podcast is good. And I was like, we're, yeah. and that's, it just kind of took off from there.
0: What do you think has surprised you the most about the podcast?
1: I guess the the, the range of the message. Like people, because yeah. it's not like I'm a famous person. I'm not like a super popular person. Like I kind of just keep right. to myself more or less. Yeah. But I guess it's like, if you have a story that people can identify with or see themselves in mm-hmm. they typically will engage with you know
0: so you didn't you didn't think that people would be listening it sounds
1: right. like <laughs> i d- I didn't really think people were gonna check it out like that I mean I know I, I know I was a f- I'm a pretty funny guy, I'm very personable I'm funny right. um I got charisma, yeah um I got a magnetism to me, but I wasn't sure people were going to want to hear my perspective right on things that's going on or you know I know I had an interesting story because anytime I would tell somebody my story, they would just be quiet,
0: sure. Sure.
1: Yeah. Like that. And usually they're taking it back. And they're like, what yeah. happened to you? That happened to you? That happened to you? It was like, hey, you know, <laughs> growing up, it was different. I grew up in a different way. People just always taking it back by that. And they're like, man, you should be such a different person. I'm like, yeah, but I made, I made the choice to be positive, And that's important to me. So yeah. Beyond her and Evil, that's what Mike was too. He's, he has a similar story to me, but his story is on the West coast. So he had to deal with gangs and this and that, and this and that. So that's what, Makes beyond Hood and it will be beyond Hood And even as Mike and I in tandem, we've always had that that energy, that synergy between us. Where if he's talking and I'm talking, we can always bounce things off of each other. So much so, this is a personal story. Then I stopped. We we tried to become RAs together in college. Yeah, and we interview we interviewed together for the position. So he and I both came in for the interview like
0: like a job share
1: as a as a tandem no not as a tandem like if you hire Mike you got to hire me oh if you hire me you got to hire Mike it was a weird, it was a thing like it was a real thing we tried you know uh <laughs> and the funny part we actually got the job so it was crazy like so you both got the job? Yeah, yeah. Did you yeah. share a
0: room? Like, how does nah, that work? No,
1: definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. You no, know, I, I, I that, that, that the job didn't work out for me. Let me put it like, but but Mike was able to stay on. So yeah.
0: Oh, you got fired as an RA? I, I, see said, it. I guess yeah, I said, get I get fired.
1: I, I never was fired. Never was fired. I had to um I had to unceremoniously resign from the position. That's the way I like to put it. <laughs>
0: All right, that's what yeah. that's what we're going to put on the record anyway.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, I was a different guy.
0: That's funny. Yeah. So you've come a long way from who you were back in kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> like this is it's, it's 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 like a a real journey. If you were to I'm trying to pick a, like a version of Chris, but if you were to go back to the younger version of yourself. So let's say it's mm-hmm. like third grade, like you've you've mm-hmm. been in this elementary school now a couple of years, you've seen a couple of things happening. Third grade was when I, I can't, I'm still processing, but like the first time that you really experienced one of your friends dying, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. What advice would you give to your younger self?
1: If I had to give one piece of advice to my younger self, it would just say to keep going. I mean, it's that, mm-hmm. that sounds very, rudimentary but it is it's like, so. that's what it is like it, you can't let it bother you and some sometimes stuff I mean generally things really didn't bother me and that's still yeah. to this day because I have learned to compartmentalize a lot of things so it's like oh that's okay it's just something that happens it's just something that happens it's something that happens but right. I guess if I had to tell him it's like man just keep going and keep doing you like it's gonna work out like don't have don't worry to think what other people think right about what you're doing or how, the path that you're moving you know what I'm saying and yeah, don't be scared to take risks because after after that experience, like I became very risk averse because, hmm. <laughs> you know, I was like, man, you could die. You could die. You could die. Makes like nice. you could die. Yeah. You know, you could yeah. die. Yeah. So it's, it just became a thing in my mind. Like, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. <laughs> so, right. you know, so much so I used to have this. This going to sound crazy. I used to have this dream, um, a re dream where I would be laying down and I would be looking up at the sip And these lights would be going by. Lights would be going by. Lights would be going by. And I, I didn't know what, how I was moving, but I was laying down and people were looking down at me and I didn't know what was happening. And then I, as I became to understand what it meant to be in a hospital, what it meant to be on a stretcher, what it meant to be in a, an emergency situation, I was like, oh my God, in this, in this moment, I am someone who is in dire streets. <laughs> I am someone who, is, who may be about to die or need to be rushed in some capacity to this place. And I remember I had this out-of-body type of experience. Like I would have this dream often. That's why I remember it. Like I used to have it often. Until I got to college, I used to have this dream a lot. I'd be looking down on myself, and I'd be this, I was this tall dude. Um, I had, like, this big, this big early Mohawk hairstyle. I had earrings. I had shades on. I was in all black, black trench coat, black shoes. Looked like one of the singers in Jodeci. Like, I looked like that. Mm -hmm. And I was just, and I remember I used to make all my decisions, especially, like, how I dressed, how I presented myself, to be opposite of that because I didn't want that to happen for me. (laughs) Right. Because I was like, I can't be that way. I can't be that way. I can't. So I had this, I had this very solid image of what it meant to be in dire straits. And I wanted to make decisions to be the opposite of that. But as I got to college and I started to explore like how I wanted to be as a professional and how I want to present in the world. Mm -hmm. That's when I started trying to ebbling those things. Like I don't have no tattoos or nothing or no piercings, but I did get the curly mohawk. I did get the long jacket. I did get the black shoes. I did get the (laughs) black shirt. And I put it on and nothing happened. So I was like, well, maybe it was just a dream. Maybe I'm outside of that now. Maybe I can begin to be a bit more forward and more uh, intentional with the way I try to do things and be a little bit more of a a risk taker, someone who's willing to take, take risk and go on journeys and stuff like that. So- yeah. Yeah.
0: Mohawk, huh? Jacket. Yes. I need to, I need to see a picture of this. Yeah.
1: I look like Patrick Mahomes.
0: It, it ain't real. It ain't real till, till, you, till you got a picture of it.
1: I sent a picture. I, like, <laughs> I look like Patrick. I was Patrick Mahomes before Patrick Mahomes. You've seen the Patrick Mahomes haircut. It look goofy. Yeah. That's yeah. how I look. That's how yeah. I look. Yeah. Like you him, created goofy. the trend. You did it. Yeah, you did it. I did. I did.
0: Well, Chris, we've covered so, so much. And one of the last things that we do with all of our guests is we put them through a speed round. Are you ready? Are you sure. ready for speed round, Chris? Yes, Stiss?
1: yes, 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 yes.
0: Awesome. <laughs> the correct answer is no one's ready for speed round, but I think I got yes. a pretty good feeling about you. <clears throat> okay. So here we go. What is something, sorry, what is one thing about you that no one expects?
1: One thing that most people don't know about me that they wouldn't expect is that I am a business owner, stiffworks.com. Check us out. Oh, that's a little plug right there.
0: <laughs> what, is a, what is a book, a movie, or a TV show with characters that you relate to?
1: Um, Orson Scott Carr's Heart's Hope. I always saw myself as The Sink.
0: Wow, you're so deep and you're a reader. That's really interesting. <laughs> what, what is your favorite mom dish?
1: My favorite mom dish is oyster stuffing.
0: Oyster stuffing, that sounds so good. Yes. Did she make any for you for Thanksgiving?
1: I actually didn't make it home for Thanksgiving this year, you know. Oh, that's (laughs) right. Yes. That's
0: right. Because you moved. Yes. You moved out of the D.C. into the L.A. That's right. What is your least favorite food?
1: My least favorite food is swine. I don't dine on swine. Get that pork off your fork
0: don't dine on swine. So you don't even eat bacon?
1: I don't eat any swine at all. And if this is going to sound crazy, I'll make it quick because I know I could be long-winded. Yeah, All my favorite rappers didn't eat pork. So I was like, I want to be a good rapper. I want to, yeah. (laughs) I was like, I want to be a good rapper so I don't eat pork. That's
0: a great reason.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is many moons ago. Yeah.
0: All right. I will accept that answer. (laughs) Who Who is someone out there that you would want to talk to on your podcast that you haven't talked to yet? Kanye West. That would be an interesting one.
1: <laughs> Easy layup, quick work.
0: Whoa, yeah, that would I, would, I would definitely listen to that. That would be very interesting. Yes. All right, last question. What does being a modern minority
1: mean for you? A modern minority to me is someone who's a representation of who they want to be and not who society tells them they should be.
0: That's a perfect elevator pitch kind of answer,
1: Chris Stith. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for your time today. This was such a pleasure because I know you, I know you in so many different forms and it was just super cool to chat about your life, your childhood and what makes you who you are today. So thanks for your time today.
1: I appreciate you. Thank you for having me on the podcast. <laughs> and I can't stress enough. This is a great platform and I hope it continues to grow and elevate to be the great
2: I've been Ramin Segel.
0: And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony.
2: Remember, we're all modern minorities out there.
0: We'll talk to you soon.